Father, we pray that you would indeed speak to us. And we pray that you will enable us to hear. Your word is truth. Embed your truth deep in our souls today. And we pray this in the name of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Do you like to swing? I don't mean dancing. I'm talking about the swings that are up here. That's a whole other question, and we won't even get into that today. I suspect that most of us do. You know, you can probably recall a a memory on a school playground or neighborhood park or your backyard where you spent time by yourself or with friends swinging. You know, I love to swing. Unfortunately, I have some issues with motion sickness, so it's not the best thing for me to do. And the people who are also swinging appreciate that, I can tell you. But... um, I like watching other people swing. I love coming out of church and watching the parents and children in the playground back here, having a great time. And one thing I have noticed about swing sets, whether you're in a park or playground or somewhere, it's not just the kids who are swinging. You know, I see high school kids swinging. I see college students swinging. I see um, older adults swinging, married couples swinging. It's just something fun about getting into a swing and you just sort of lose yourself in it. Swings are fun. It's one of the reasons why when I saw this picture, I thought this is just wrong. Uh, you know, something that fun should never be used for that kind of an evil purpose. You know, they just don't go together. That should, that's not the way it should be. A swing should be a place that you look forward to being. And it is a place where you just sort of lose yourself back and forth. I read something not too long ago about swings that I hadn't thought of before. It's, not, it's kind of simple, but yet it, it, it struck me as intriguing. Lynn Sweet, who has been here a few years back and is a, is a popular voice uh, in the church, has coined a phrase that comes out of the world of physics. And he says, talks about something called parabolic harmonious oscillation. And, and what he does, he's using that term to describe the, the, what goes on in, in terms of physics when you get into a swing. Now, if, because what, what he's trying to tell us is that if you're, if you're going to use a swing properly, if you're going to use a swing at all, the two things have to happen. You have to lean back. And you have to kick forward. And you can't swing just doing one or the other. You think about it. If you're sitting in a swing and you lean back, you're just going to lean back. And if you're sitting in a swing and you kick your feet, you're just going to kick your feet. Yeah, you might move a little bit, but you're not going to do what a swing is intended to do. And the only way you will do what a swing is intended to do is if you do both things. That there is this harmonious, even oscillation of back and forward that's what makes a swing do what it's supposed to do there is something in that that connects with the church 
Something in that idea of parabolic, harmonious oscillation, the leaning back and the kicking forward, that speaks to what the church is supposed to be. It's what God's people have always supposed, are supposed to be. And I think you, you can see this in, in the heart of, of this passage from Numbers 13 and 14 that we read just a few moments ago. Here are the Israelites standing on the brink of receiving the greatest promise that God has given to them. This promise for centuries that they would live in the land of Canaan, that they would enjoy all of the fruit of this land, and that they would settle there. And that their lives of of turmoil for hundreds and hundreds of years of slavery and nomadic wandering would end, and they would come and they would settle in this wonderful land. And they're all camped right on the, the edge of the Jordan River, ready to go across. And God says to Moses, send out some spies to check out the land to see how good it really is. God had, I want to tell you that that God wants you to think about all of the goodness that he's given to you. God has done so much in your life and in my life, it would be difficult for us to recount all of it. It's intriguing to me when I, when I hear God speaking about the Israelites and him sending them across. He talks about the land that he is giving them. Not the land that they have earned. Not the land that they have conquered. Not the land that, that, that they have, have done things to, to uh, receive. It's just the land God's giving them. They're getting this land purely because God is good and generous. And you and I receive so many blessings from God simply because God is good and generous. It's not because we're such great people. It's not because we do such great things. It's not because we've earned it. It's because God is good. And God is gracious. And God says to the Israelites, you go check out how good this land is. Go look at it. And so they do. And they send out these spies to check out the land. Unfortunately, it doesn't end so well. They come back with conflicting reports. Yes, the land is bountiful. In fact, they have this bunch of grapes that's so large, they have to carry it. Two guys have to carry it on a pole. The land is phenomenal, but, always a but. But they got giants in that land. And the cities are fortified that we could never get through them. And they said going into that land would be crazy. It's too much. We ought to just stop. Let's just stay here and not worry about it. I wonder how often you and I are afraid to move forward with something because of fear. I wonder how often when we talk about that kicking forward, the moving forward that God is calling us as individuals and as a church, how many times do we hesitate to take that step because we're afraid? We're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of the, of the obstacles that seem too big. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of pain. 
we would often rather stay in a situation that's uncomfortable that we know than move out and risk in a situation that is unknown that we don't know. And we, like the Israelites, are often find ourselves on the brink of some great things God has for us. But because we're afraid, we stop. We hesitate. We wait. The Israelites wait. And the consequences are devastating for them. Because of the report of these ten spies, they get everybody else riled up. That's often the way it happens. A few people get get nervous. A few people become afraid. And they start talking to a few other people. And they talk to a few other people. And pretty soon, what started out as a little bit of hesitancy by a few people becomes widespread fear and panic and grumbling among everyone. And they're ready to stone Moses and Aaron and find some new leaders that will take them back to Egypt. Because ten guys said, we can't do it. It's not just about the negative attitude of, that we might have. We influence other people. Our attitude connects with other people. And they respond to that positively or negatively. And, and what we find here is that this negative attitude is really a lack of faith. It's a rejection of God and his great plan for them. And that attitude poisons the whole community. The first verses of chapter 14 Say this in the message, the whole community was in uproar, wailing all night long. All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The entire community, do you hear it? The whole community, all the people, the entire community. They're all in an uproar saying, why didn't we die in Egypt? Death in Egypt would be better than this. Why didn't we die in the wilderness? Why has God brought us this country to kill us? Our wives and our children are about to become plunder. Let's just go back to Egypt and do it right now. We'll pick a new leader and we'll go back to Egypt. I mean, they're ready to run because 10 guys said there's giants and walls in that land. But you know, this rebellion isn't just dangerous and serious because of its effect on the, on the community. It's also dangerous and serious because of what it communicates about God. I mean, it's not as though there is no reason for the people to grumble or complain. There are obstacles. There are some giants. The cities are walled and fortified. These are not insignificant issues. They are real things. But God sends them into the land because he can handle those Real things. You see, our unwillingness to trust is not just consequences on us, it's consequences about who God is and the nature of what we believe about God and how we reflect that for other people. They are sending the message to the whole community and to their neighbors We told you God was trustworthy, we're not sure that He is. We told you God was good, we're kind of second guessing that. We thought God had a plan for us. Let's just go back to Egypt. Because the God who made all of these promises can't keep them. No wonder God says, I think I'll send a plague on this whole people. Start over again. 
I mean, it's one thing for people who have very little or no relationship with God to criticize God, to condemn God. To, it's a whole other thing for people who say, my life is rooted in relationship with God, to then say, I'm not really sure God is trustworthy. What kind of message does that send to people who have no relationship with God or who are reflecting on God, trying to figure out what kind of relationship they want to have with God? Numbers 14, chapter 14, verse 9. The, the Caleb and, and Joshua say to the people, don't rebel against the Lord. And it really is a spirit of rebellion against God. It's not rebellion against Moses and Aaron. It's not rebellion against Joshua and Caleb. It's rebellion against God. The people are saying, we don't believe God can handle these obstacles. He's just not strong enough. He's just not good enough. He's just not enough. And so they refuse to take this step of faith. I think it's important for us to ponder what our decisions about steps of faith are saying and communicating to other people about God. When God says, here's the direction I want you to go, here's the step of faith I want you to take, and we refuse, what are we saying about God? What are we saying about God's ability to handle the difficulties and the struggles and the obstacles that come to us? We're saying, I'm not sure God can handle that. Now, I I read this story and I think, why would God send those spies in in the first place? He had to know that they were going to be frightened by everything. He He knew there were giants in the land. He knew that the cities were fortified. You have to wonder that if maybe sending this reconnaissance unit wasn't the best idea. But the reality is God is never afraid of the truth. God isn't afraid to tell us you're going to face some difficult things. God is never afraid to state the truth about the enemies that may come against us. Think of Peter describes Satan as a roaring lion who's roaming and desiring to tear us apart. That's frightening. And in some cases, we would say, look, don't say that. Don't tell people that. Let them figure that out when they get to it. You're going to scare them now. Jesus says to Peter, Satan is after you. Jesus says to his disciples, you're all going to suffer. Many of you are going to die and be martyred for the faith. Man, Jesus, it's not exactly the way to get people to join with you. Don't worry about that stuff later. Tell them all the nice stuff first. Don't tell them the hard stuff. I mean, isn't that what we would tend to do? But God is never afraid of telling us the hard things. God is never afraid to tell us that there are going to be obstacles in the path. And he's not afraid because those obstacles, which look so intimidating to us, are nothing to God. And he wants us to understand that the victories he has in our lives are not going to be things that he's going to sneak up on on evil, that he's going to use trickery, that he's going to, it's just good luck or good fortune to get us by those things. It's his power. 
And he's not afraid to tell us the obstacles because he has the power to overcome the obstacles. And taking steps of faith isn't about denial. It's about truth. It's about calling things what they are. Giants, giants. Walls, walls. And then saying, Lord, if you want me to do this, you'll have to take care of that stuff. And I know you can. But it's not just about taking the steps of faith. I have found that we are much more apt to take the steps of faith. Much more apt to to push forward when we've had some time to lean back. We need both. And for the Israelites, God keeps reminding them that they can take steps of faith. They can overcome these obstacles because he reminds them of all the things that he's done for them already. And the key to this episode is in chapter 14, verse 10, where Caleb and Joshua declare to the people, look, we can do this. Don't be afraid. Yes, they are big. The cities are well protected. But the Lord is with us. And that changes everything. Remembering that the Lord is with us changes the whole landscape of the problem. Reminding us of who God is and what God has done is one of the reasons we keep coming together for worship. It's why these scriptures are so important to us. It's why prayer is so important to us. Because we so easily forget and our, and our short memories lead us to rebellion and fear that gets in the way. When we remember the past, we're reminded of all that God has done for his people. That's why he keeps repeating to the Israelites over and over and over again, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the God who rescued you from that impossible situation. I'm the God who who led you across the Red Sea when I parted the waters. And I am the God who will lead you into Canaan and give you victory. Same God. And I'll keep doing the same things. And as the church of Christ, we need to be reminded of what God has done. We are called to lean back to remember so that we will have faith to kick forward when God calls us. God says, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. Look back. Now, go in and take the land. Push forward. You know, most of us and most churches tend to focus on one or the other. We tend to be so enamored with the future and don't care that much about the past. Or we're so enamored with the past, we spend very little time thinking about what God wants to do now. But a healthy church is living in both worlds. A healthy church is leaning back and pushing forward. Moving the swing. It's the old and the new that we need. It's remembering what God has done that inspires us to trust him about what he's going to do. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells this parable about about the fish and the net. And he ends it by saying, Therefore, every teacher of the law who's been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old treasures. And that's what I believe God is calling us to be as a church. 
to remember what God has done so that we'll be inspired about what God is doing and wants to do. I don't know exactly what that will mean for us as a church, but I guarantee you it will mean taking some risks. It will mean that we'll take some risks about some of the programs that we do. It will mean take some risks about how we engage ourselves with people outside of the church. It will mean some financial risks, programmatic risks. It will mean loving risks, but it will mean risks. Because God is always calling us to take new steps of risk and faith based on what we've seen him do in former steps of risk and faith. I I tend to be a cautious person. I I don't have a long history of of risk taking. You know, growing up, I, you know, and actually still to this day, I have issues with things like heights and some issues with water, and which makes bridges a whole thing for me. Uh, you know, I, I don't like snakes, and I'm not the guy who's going to be playing chicken in the middle of the road, and I'm not going to be leading the group out to go bridge jumping at midnight. That's not my thing. I remember back in second grade, I went with a, a kid in my class to spend the night at his house, and we were out actually at a nearby another school playground, swinging on swings, I'm sure. And I started getting really homesick as dusk was settling in. And I happened to come around the edge of the building and it was a school my older sister went to. And there she was coming out of the building from a Girl Scout meeting. And I was, I just jumped in the car and went home with her. Left my friend standing there looking at me like, what was that? What happened? My mother was quite surprised when I walked in the door with my sister. You know, I, that's a whole other issue of, you know, my paranoia, but that gets beside the point. But, you know, I, I, I've, often I look back and think, I wish I'd been more of a risk taker. And, and I want to be and am working to be and taking steps to be more of a risk taker. Because I'm beginning to see the followers of God, we don't get it if we're not taking risks. Taking risks with God is as much a spiritual issue as reading the scriptures and saying our prayers and and coming together for worship. And I don't know how you would view yourself. But I know God is calling you as he's calling me and he's calling us to be willing to take some risks. To take some steps of faith. And we can do it confidently because we're taking steps of faith with the God who brought the Israelites out of Egypt and metaphorically has done the same thing with us. Over and over and over again. The sobering reality of this whole story for me is that after God, you know, he's angry with the people and he is ready to to wipe them out and start again with Moses and Aaron. And Moses and Aaron plead with God not to do that. And God, they say, you know, forgive us. And God says, okay, I will forgive you. I will forgive these people. But these promises I've had for them, this land that I've been waiting to give them for hundreds of years, that's for the next generation. And what sobers me is that I don't want the blessings of God that he wants to give to us 
to be stalled till the next generation because we weren't willing to step out and take risks. I don't want the I don't want what God wants to do in this congregation and in our lives to be held back because we were fearful and we were afraid to trust and we were afraid of the unknown and so God says, "Okay, there's some great things I want to do in this place, but I'll just delay that until the next generation." I can't think of much more saddening to me than if God were to say that to us. I want to I want to experience the fullness of God's blessing on us now. To receive what God wants to give us now. To take those steps of faith now as individuals and together as a body of believers. To do it now because I believe God wants to give it to us now. And God wants to pour out his abundant blessing on us now. We have to decide if we're going to be willing to trust him, take the risks, and move forward. I am praying, and I'm asking you to pray with me and to pray with our elders, that we will be this kind of risk-taking, faith-step-taking, adventurous congregation. To listen to what God wants us to do and to be. To see where God wants to take us. And then to, to follow him. And there will be obstacles. There will be giants. There will be walls. But there will also be God. And that changes everything. So are you willing in whatever form God leads you to take some step of faith. As we begin this academic year, what a perfect time for us to commit ourselves to that mindset and to be so ready and so in tune and so on the edge with whatever God wants for us this year that the minute he speaks, we move. Because we remember who we're following. And who's moving us forward. Father. You know our fears. You know our hesitancies. You know all the stuff that we wrestle with. That keeps us from taking the steps of faith. That you've called us to take. First of all forgive us. And second. Do something in us that opens our hearts to trust you. Help us to be so in tuned to what you have done, leaning back, that the most natural thing in the world is to push forward to the new things you're doing and want to do. In this moment of silence, Help us to open our hearts, our minds, our spirits to the work of your spirit.
Amen.